is Michael Jans from Rich Rap Project 313. Radio, And you're listening to Play That Rock and Roll. a test this is play that rock and roll i'm your host joseph k and like the song at start says just call me joe today my guest is michael jans michael is the frontman vocalist and founder of rich wrath project 313 which is a band dedicated to celebrating the memory and music of original guitar player for ario speedwagon gary Richrath. Gary Richrath was a founding member of REO Speedwagon, and he played on all of their biggest hits. And he wrote a number of them as well. Gary left REO in 1989, and shortly after that, he started his own solo band, just called Richrath. And Michael, my guest today, was the vocalist for that group. Michael wrote several songs with Gary, and they put out an album called Only the Strong Survive in 1992. Sadly, Gary passed away in 2015, but in 2019, Michael Jans put together a band called the Rich Wrath Project 313, and they have been touring ever since, and they even put out a new album last year. When they tour, they play mostly REO Speedwagon music from REO's Golden Years, as those are the songs Gary is most famous for. But they do songs from Gary's solo career and also their own original music as well. I saw Rich Wrath Project 313 just recently at the Greendale Village Days, which takes place near where I live. I thought they were fantastic, and I think this is a really cool project. So after the show, I got a chance to talk to Michael, and I invited him on the show to talk not just about the new album they put out, but also his history with Gary uh, going back to the late 80s. This band is a celebration of a very underrated and underappreciated figure in classic rock. And that's why I think they are a band that classic rock fans should definitely be more aware of. Gary Richrath was an awesome guitar player, and the music that Michael and his band now play totally lives up to that standard. Gary Richrath is one of those great classic guitar players from the late 70s and early 80s. And since he's no longer with us, it is Michael who is keeping his music alive today. And I think that's important for classic rock fans, so that's what we're talking about today. So in this interview, we talk about how Michael met and started working with Gary Richrath, their 1992 album, Only the Strong Survive, Gary's songwriting process, the band's new album, L.A. is Mine, and how the band tackles the modern challenges that comes with touring and promoting a new record. Again, the new album is called L.A. is Mine. You can get physical copies at Walmart and Amazon, and you can stream it on Spotify. Or you can do what I did and buy it from the merch table at one of their concerts. They'll be happy to sign it for you after the show. If you want to learn more about this band, you can check out their website, project313rocks.com. They have their tour dates there, and they do still have some upcoming days in 2022. 
And you can also find them on Facebook and Twitter at Project 313 Rocks. So without further ado, here's my conversation with founder, vocalist, and frontman of Rich Wrath Project 313, Michael Jans. So I just saw you and your band play Greendale Village Days, which was a really fun show. Great night out. How did you enjoy that evening? Uh, I loved it. It was uh, my, my hometown. I grew up there. And um, like I, uh, I kind of mentioned on stage a couple of times, I mean, it's, it's really wonderful to be able to play your hometown like that and have such a great response because, I mean, there were thousands of people there. And, and uh, I actually, you know, was into music my whole life. Um, and I did my eighth grade graduation dance there. That was my first actual paid show. So <laughs> oh, <laughs> I think wow. we, made like, we made like $200 or something like that. And we, we did our eighth grade graduation dance. So um, right back in the, right around the corner in the middle school there. So it was kind of cool, you know. Oh, that's neat. awesome. So come back straight and we were, we were, uh, we had the opportunity to play before COVID and we had a similar response like that. And then we did the, the 82 class reunion, which was what we did the other night. And that was, that was by far even better. It was more fun and uh, much tighter as a band. We've been, you know, been doing a lot of playing more. So after this last album, we've been doing a lot. So, so uh, we, we had a great time. It was wonderful. Okay, so uh, let's get started with, um, for, for those who aren't familiar with, um, with yourself and your band, uh, you're the founder and frontman and lead vocalist for Rich Wrath Project 313. And for those Correct. who don't know, can you tell us what your band is all about and what sort of music you play? Well, uh, what it's all about is um, I was in 1988, the end of 88, early 89, I was fortunate enough to, to, to live in a town in California called Thousand Oaks, which was a, it's another, it's like my second home. And, um, I, uh, I have an opportunity to meet Gary Richrath. And Gary Richrath is the, one of the founding members of REO Speedwagon, um, the guitarist, and everybody that listens to REO Speedwagon, right, right away they think it's Gary, because Gary is the sound of REO. Well, through those time periods, uh, Gary bought a, a ranch in Newberry Park, which is like in Milwaukee, it would be considered like Greendale and Greenfield. That's like Thousand Oaks and Newberry Park, they're right together like that. And um, <clears throat> my drummer actually ran into to, uh, Gary at a convenience store. And, you know, he noticed him right away. You know, being from the Midwest, we, we grew up with REO. So, and uh, Gary said, hey, you look like you're in a band because we all had, he had long hair and stuff. He's like, yeah, I play drums. And he goes, well, I live in Newberry Park. You live around here? And he says, yeah, I live in Thousand Oaks. He goes, let's jam. And this is like Gary Richrath, you know. And, and so he came home. And he's like, guys, you know, he goes, I got this opportunity. Gary Richard's going to come jam with us. And everybody said, yeah, right. You know, I mean, come on, that's not going to happen. And being from Wisconsin, we're Packer fans, big time Packer fans. So every Sunday we had uh, people that, you know, would invite us to their houses because it was through the 80s when the Packers were very not good. Let's put it that way. <laughs> they were bad. And but we still were such diehard fans. We watched every single game we could. You know, because if you got a chance to see the, the, the team live, you want to see them. And so I, we, we were doing a Sunday afternoon watching the game. 
And uh, we get a knock on the door. And so it's one of our roadies saying, Gary Richard's at our house right now. And I'm like, come on, he is not. And they dragged me from a Packer game, which never happens. And uh, he was sure enough, there he was in our studio in, in Thousand Oaks. So he started jamming with us. And, you know, obviously we knew riding the storm out. And we knew taking on the run. And he had me singing the songs. So he's like, wow, you got a really good voice. He goes, would you like to do some demos? And I said, yeah. Well, he was putting together the new REO album at that time. And um, Kevin was doing like a solo thing. And, and Gary was working with another singer called Tom DeLuca, who helped him do writing some songs. And they were doing some, just some demos. So he asked me if I wanted to sing on them. And one thing led to another. And I was singing on his demos. And, and uh, I uh, said, what the heck? This is great. And, and then he, he did the split where, where Kevin took the band and Gary did a solo thing and I was Gary's solo man, solo front man. And we started doing all REO speed wagons and new songs that I helped Gary write. And, um, that was totally 1989, 1990. And, uh, we released the only the strong survive album in 1992, I think it was. So, and it was a tour, nonstop tour. I mean, we toured everywhere through North America. So the, it, it started out with doing just Gary songs of REO and then originals. And then we started slowly doing some of the combo songs that he did with Kevin. And, and um, we took a few breaks through the time period. And, um, and then, uh, you know, like I said, things, the, the album came out. It did really well in certain areas. Didn't do so well all over the place. The, the record company, there it is. Yeah. Um, it's a great album. It's a great album. Uh, we, did, um, we did a lot of stuff that ario did in the 70s there you know because gary basically produced it with neil norman from crescendo and um it was a wonderful experience i mean we had the keyboard player from frank zappa do keyboards for us um all the original demos that we were we, we did on that original album was done with some of the ario guys and and then me doing vocals and then um like i said it uh it did well but then gary still had some issues going on and uh you know i think gary's Gary had enough depression going on that he just couldn't keep it going. It's like we wanted to go. We were kids, and he was going through a lot of the stuff that the REO thing was. You know, he was he was kind of not so happy with the way things turned out because it got worse toward the middle of the 90s and then later on because he kept on having the repercussions of what happened to him in REO. And it was nonstop talking about what happened with Kevin and Gary, what happened with Kevin and Gary. You know, and that's all anybody ever asked about and he wanted to push on his new band more than anything, you know, and, and the record company was not a big record company. It was an independent. They weren't going to put the support that CBS and Epic did for REO. And it, we just had to keep on, you know, touring and touring. And, you know, he was older, we were young kids, but you know, it takes a toll on everybody. And we were playing, you know, six, seven, sometimes we'd play two shows in a week, uh, like eight nights a week, you know, we do two shows in one day. So, um, it, it got the band super tight. I mean, we played and played and played and we were really a tight band. And uh, it finally got to the point where we had to kind of like take a break. And uh, I took a break a couple times because it wasn't, it was too hard on the band, you know, cause Gary was having some issues, you know, just nonstop playing it from bars to, you know, theaters to festivals, to bars back and forth. And, and that's what really kind of happened. And, you know, the guy's the nicest guy in the world. He's, he's, a, he's definitely 
I consider him like a brother to me. He taught me so much, but it was a, it was a tough life. It was tough for, for us to be able to deal with it because the, the end result was not what we wanted it to be, you know? So, yeah. uh, so, you know, again, it's like, you gotta, you, you gotta make some money in some all aspects of it from, you know, from writers to, to touring to everything else. And we never really got that. We never got over that big hump and, and that's kind of like where that went. But, that's where I am now. And I'm kind of, um, I got a brand new album out and, um, th that, you know, from that, we, all the demos that Gary and I worked with through the years, we, I still had, and I still have more. And we kind of, now that there's a digital age that we're in, we, uh, took, uh, some of the demos and put them on pro tools okay. and Gary's guitar and his, his background vocals. We just put them on pro tools. And then the whole, my new band played with, Gary, we, we put that together. Oh, but we started, I would say, yeah, I would say we started that, um, two years ago out in LA. So we went out now and did the, all the basic tracks out in LA. And then we crescendo called me up and said, since Gary passed away, cause Gary passed away in 2015, they wanted to try to, you know, capitalize on that. I wasn't sure I didn't want to do it right away, but then I thought, you know what? It's, I want to give him his justice that, you know, he deserves. And, and he didn't really get a lot of, people don't really rate him as one of the best guitarists or songwriters. And I think he is. I mean, like I said, yeah. you can pick up an Ario Speedway album and not know that Gary Richard played on that. You know, I mean, cause right now they don't write anything new. They don't have mm -hmm. anything, you know? I mean, I was in the car today, like I was telling you, I was out and about. I heard Taken on the Run, I heard Riding the Storm Out just on the radio, classic radio. And it's like, you know, I mean, it's every day. It's like constant, you know, and you can hear that guitar just chirping and screaming. And that's, that's Gary, you know. Hello, Pantheon Podcast listeners. Christian Swain here to tell you more about my experience with Raycon earbuds. Our family now has three pairs of Raycon earbuds around the house. And my wife just grabbed a pair of the headphone pros to replace some headphones from a company that was double the price. And yes, she loves them. Now, if you haven't pulled the trigger on a pair of Raycons, or even if you have, but you're in the market for another pair because they're just that good, well, now is the time to check them out because they just launched their upgraded model of the best-selling everyday earbuds. With Raycon's upgraded everyday earbuds, now you also get active noise cancellation, ergonomic design, and multi-point connectivity that lets you pair with two devices at once. New quick charge function, three customizable sound styles plus awareness mode, available in a variety of vibrant new colors to complement any and all skin tones. I even have a pair of earbuds in a cool green color. I have tried just about every earbud known to humankind and these Raycons are fantastic. Seriously, if you've been wanting to check out Raycons, there truly is no better time. You're going to ask yourself why you didn't check them out sooner. And Raycon offers a 30-day happiness guarantee. So what are you waiting for? Go to buyraycon.com slash pantheon today to get 20% off your Raycon order plus free shipping. That's right. You'll get 20% off and free shipping at buyraycon.com slash pantheon. Buyraycon.com slash pantheon. Hey folks, Stefan Shirazi and Renee Richardson here from the Metallica Report. And we are proud members of the Pantheon podcast family, where the best of music and podcasts unite. We've got something pretty cool for you. 
we're giving away an exclusive Metallica merch package worth over $250. That's a whole lot of scary guys, skulls, M72, and other sought-after Metallica swag. And we've made it easy for you to win. Follow and share the Metallica report, and you're in the game. Go to pantheonpodcast.com slash Metallica, enter your email, and hit that button to be entered to win. And just like that, you're eligible for our monthly exclusive Metallica merch package. And guess what, rockers? You can enter every month. So just do it. And while we love our global brothers and sisters, the lawyers won't let us ship outside the U.S. Absolutely. And REO is a favorite band of mine. And there is no doubt that their output took a steep decline starting in 1990. And they never you know, got back to, you know, where they were when they had Gary. And I think that's why they don't make music anymore. Interesting that you say that Gary was having a hard time in, in the aftermath of the whole fallout thing, because I, I recall watching VH1 behind the music, you know, about REO. And that's all that episode talked about was the conflicts. And you can tell in the interview, he's getting sick of those questions. Um, yeah. You know, it's yeah. sad that that had to hang over his whole, you know, solo career. Yeah, and it, it is sad because, like I said, but it, you can tell Gary was a very passionate individual. He he believed in his music, and like that's yeah. one thing he taught me. You know, he's he always said, you know, you don't write a song to be a hit. You write a song from your feelings, your deepest feelings, and you write songs. You know, whether it be a love song or a party song. You know, like the I'm I'm the only strong survive. He wrote, "If the night don't get you, the morning will," because yeah. that's what it's all about. You know, and you know, but then you have your love songs, and, and it's like he he wrote from his heart and. And, the, and, you know, I, I fell in that same trap. And you know, I'm, I'm not the greatest guitarist in the world, nowhere near anything like he could do, but I know the chord progressions that he taught me and how to, how to bring melodies out of that. And, and so I took a lot of, of, of learning skills that he taught me, and especially with my vocals. Matt, the man, he had, a, he had a really good voice when he was younger. And um, later on, he, he got the mic taken away from him by a certain mm. individual. <laughs> but um, but uh, I captured a lot of that stuff that I had because he had a unique voice that was very, I mean, he pushed me to the limits. That's where 313 came from, if, if oh, you're going to okay. ask the question. Because 313 was 313 in the morning because he would push me and push me and push me and push me. And, you know, everything to him was when he was producing me in the studio, it was like those meters, I, he'd always want me to double my voice and, he, and those always had to be, you know, perfect. And it was like, I would pin those needles every time and I knew I was doing it, you know, and everybody else in the control room would say, you know, you're doing it right. And, and he, and he would just joke with me because he's like, he was getting back somebody else for giving him such a hard time. <laughs> so I was the poster boy. I was getting beat up for that, you know, but yeah. you know what? It made my voice stronger. And um, absolutely. And, uh, and I, I appreciate that. And the story behind it's great. You know? So like I said, I, I had a lot of fun. I mean, I, it was the funnest time of my life with him. And um, just the experiences, but you know, like I said, I, when you get when you get done right down to it, I learned so much from, and I brought all that to the new album. And yeah, and like a lot of people can say, you know, even the songs that I wrote sound a lot like an REO Speedwagon earlier years or whatever. But the vocal abilities, we have so much more vocals going on, you know. Yeah. And and fortunately, I'm like on these nights, and LA is mine, and um, and uh, help me save me for myself were songs that Gary did background vocals on in my studio and we, we got them captured in there. So I blended them with mine, but it's like, you know, you can, you can still hear them. And it's like, if you can pinpoint them off, you can, if you're really listening hard, but, uh, 
Yeah, there was a post today of, of uh, you know, we're, we're moving in on the 70th year anniversary of Gary's passing. Yeah. And uh, Summer Love was, you know, we did that. If you heard that the other night, not many, he, they never do Summer Love, you know. And we, right. do summer, we do Summer Love that's regularly in our set. And um, one of my favorite songs, you know, to do. And uh, when we first started doing it, we just did it acoustically. And he sang the lead and I sang the high part in the back, you know. Somebody isolated it where it was just Gary's vocals, which is really cool. If it, it was on Facebook today. If you check it out, it's really cool. But, um, you know, that was one of the things I try to do. I try to capture every aspect of Gary being Gary, you know. And LA, LA is mine, does his, his guitar playing, you know, he, it was extraordinary. But, and then These Nights is more of a, a rocking song that he always had that rocker in him. And then Help Me Save Me For Myself is self-explanatory. It's basically about him. You know, he, it's like son of a poor man, you know? Yeah. It's like Help Me Save Me For Myself was his demons he couldn't get out. He couldn't, there was nobody that could help him but himself, you know? Right. And and that's kind of what that song is all about. So I mean, I I was, you know, I was so honored to be able to finish that up. And so the record company, when they came to me, they asked me to do that. I said, well, let's try it. So my idea was, I came up with the idea of trying to redo his tracks instead of just re-recording the songs. And yeah. it turned out better than anybody ever expected, you know. So it's actually very on there. So that's yeah that's terrific I, I i think that was i i spoke to you after the the village days show and you, you were telling me about how uh you know through studio magic that gary's voice and guitar and you know other tracks are, are present on this new album and i think that's you know so cool that you know that that technology exists that you're able to do stuff sure. like that i imagine it's you know more more meaningful on a personal level as well but uh one yeah, thing i oh go ahead it really was personal because when I came up with the idea, the record company kind of mm -hmm. thought that was crazy. But then I thought of, well, you know, you, you heard of the Nat, Nat King Cole and, and, and his daughter, Nat, Natalie Cole. I think yeah. They did that. And that's where I got the idea from. And then I thought, well, if they did that, I mean, I should be able to do something now because that was years ago. And it was like, and I figured there's got to be some way of doing it. And, and I finally found some guy that I was friends with who, who figured it out and he did it. And. You know, I shouldn't say figure it out. I'm sure there's other people that have done it, but I'm just saying it, it was hard to do because the song was, you know, it was recorded in a demo. And then it was like, we had to literally play along with it. And it was like, it was really, it was difficult, but it, it turned out so cool. And everybody was so honored to actually play with Gary in the in my new band that it yeah. was like he was in the studio. You know, it was yeah. like he was right there, you know, and it was like, you could feel it. That is very cool, and and you're right. You're you're not the first to do it. I know that uh, one of Bruce Springsteen's more recent records features sax recordings from the big man Clarence Clements, and you know he oh. talked about how emotional and how important that is for him. You know, and also Clarence's family. I mean, it's a really good use of material that would otherwise just be lost to time. Sure, sure, sure. That yeah. that that was yeah, it, yeah. There was a lot of emotions with this this whole thing. Like. Like, you know, I mean, I moved out to, to L.A. in 85, and uh, my first experience with Gary, would, believe it or not, was I, I ran into him. Um, I, I went to Greendale High School, like I told you, that's where I did the play, but I, I went to my junior prom, and we went down to the Hyatt Regency, and they were doing their High Infidelity tour in, in 1981, I think it was, 1980, I think yeah. it was But I actually met him that night in my tuxedo, and we... <laughs> He was at the Hyatt Regency, and that's where, that's where we were having dinner at there, you know, and it was like wow. I actually met him. And, and, you know, he swears he remembers it those, all those years later. But, I mean, it wasn't that long.
but it was like from 1981 to 1988, 89 is when I finally met him, you know, because I mean, it was really, you know, he was on the top floor and I was down in the bottom and we kept on trying to get up there. And then there was security that wouldn't let us up to the top <laughs> right. and he let us up there. So, so it was kind of cool. And, and, you know, like I said, that was one of the th experiences I had. And then it was just like always so magical. And then when I moved out to LA in 85 and the last person I ever thought I would be working with was Gary Richrat, you know, we did a bad finger tour before that, before we went out to LA and um, we were getting some help from Atlantic records because Tony K was the keyboard player from yes. And he was kind of on our side and he was with bad finger when we toured. So I thought, well, I was going to probably be working with somebody like that more than anybody. Then all of a sudden Gary popped up, you know, and it was just like, wow, what a weird experience that was, you know, and, yeah. and it was, it was really cool. And, and like I said, then there was so many, coincidences that happened through after me when me and him became very good friends we talked about stuff and it was just you know where he grew up and how i grew up and everything else it was kind of we had we had a good connection you know definitely a deep connection so yeah and that's so funny i want to go back real quick uh about the the whole packer thing so you were watching the packers during the the don Mikowski magic man years yeah was yes. was was I can't imagine Gary was also a Packer fan. Was he a Bears fan? Well, Gary was not a Packer fan. He, well, he, you know, he's from, he's from, you know, Peoria, Illinois, but right. he wasn't even really a Chicago Bear fan, even though he was, but he was really into the Lakers. I mean, that was his oh, team. He okay. loved the Lakers, you know? Yeah, and, uh, and, and then I start, you know, then when you're out in LA, you become a Lakers fan. You just do. Oh, but, sure. And, and, you know, every time the Bucks played them, they were getting beat by the Lakers, you know, eventually. But, <laughs> yeah. But, um, but, you know, like I said, it was one of those things where, you know, when you're from Wisconsin, you, you, you support your teams. So, but the Packers just run so deep in, in my family and stuff. You know, I mean, I, I, I was fortunate enough. My father had, had a store up in, in Green Bay when I was very little. So he was, uh, you know, he always had tickets, you know. So I, oh, mean, I, okay. oh, I had been some Barty paraphernalia and, you know, Bart Starr and all that stuff yeah. that I had as a kid growing up. So that was cool. But yeah. I'm just saying it was um, very interesting through the years. You know, I, I never lost that. And then he would just give me so much, you know, you know what, because I yeah. like the Packers. Because he hated <laughs> the Packers, you know. And then every time he started playing, then he, then he actually started, like, I remember one time we were in Denver. And, they, and we were sitting in a hotel and watching them play the, the Denver Broncos, you know. And uh, we were beating the Denver Broncos, and he's just finally, he's like, you know, I don't guess what, I think that was right, probably when Favre was starting in, in, in the 90s, and, you know. Okay. And then it was like, he's like, I don't, I don't get it. These guys, they're just doing too good. And then he started becoming a Packer fan, you know, and he called me the cheesehead, you know. He's like, the cheesehead. But, you know, all the guys were from the Midwest, so, I mean, we were all right. cheeseheads, basically, you know. So yeah, and it was uh, it was funny. It was a fun fun time though, and and sports were always the main focus at, uh, off the stage. You know, we were oh. always sports. You know, so we anytime, you know, like uh, my drummer, which you know Tracy was one of my best friends when we moved out for it. You know, he had friends that played hockey, so we did a oh. show up in Edmonton when uh, uh, Wayne Gretzky he yeah. went to the Kings, L.A. Kings. So he he went and had he went and bought uh, the Edmonton Oilers, Wayne Gretzky, and then the LA Kings, and he went and had a seamstress sew them together. He cut them right oh. down. <laughs> it was really cool. It was really cool. So he was he went up on stage and played that up in Edmonton, and everybody went crazy over that, you know, because oh, like, you know, because oh. no one ever thought he was going to do something like that. You know, that's another right. thing. 
But oh, yeah, that's awesome. Always been into sports like that. You know, sports was kind of our thing, you know. But, but the hey, music, uh, back to the music thing, we, you know, we, uh, we just, we did what the best we could with this, this album. And it was like, it was a long shot that it was going to turn out the way it did. And then, uh, you know, uh, we had some issues with the record company because of COVID because yeah. they, they wanted to shut down basically everything because of COVID. And then, uh, dark star came in and said, we'll take the whole thing. So they took over oh. the whole thing and they released it. And, uh, it's been, it's been doing great. I mean, we, we've been doing so great on the first two singles that we put out, um, got Alice Cooper involved with the nights with Alice Cooper. And the, um, the second single that we put out, uh, heard it on the radio was, uh, it's, it's like in 250 different stations around the world. So, I mean, it, it's doing well, doing really well. And this, and the, I don't know what we're up to. I think we're up to like a 170,000 views on YouTube with the video. The video was another thing too. I mean, talking about old stomping grounds, you know, when I, when I moved out to LA, we were putting signs up on the, on the telephone poles and stuff like that. They come see our band. They play at Gazzari's or the Roxy or, or you know, all the, all the local places. And, uh, and, uh, and then we were shooting a video down there with uh, the Entertainment Tonight people. So it was kind of cool. Cool. They shot a really nice video, and, and uh, that, that video turned out it was like coming in full circle with me in LA because it was like that. I loved it. You know? Yeah, that's the "Heard It on the Radio" video. Yeah, and that's my favorite song off the new record. Yeah, that was one that I did years and years ago, and I never finished it. And Gary always liked it, and he and we always had it sitting there, you know, on demo form. And uh, Dennis Pockets, my new guitarist, he came up with this incredible riff. And I'm like, I know where that we can put that song. It'll fit perfect. And we started working on it. And sure enough, heard it on the radio. We, we weren't even going to put that song on the album. It, we, we did oh. it like a week before the album. So we didn't even know. Oh, and we just put it together. We were so excited. It was the funnest song, probably. And we just went in there. And we, we actually finished it in the studio. And we put it out. So it was, it was cool. Because that was, that's another one of those things that happened like that, you know. Well, it's another in the in the great tradition of of rock songs that are about the radio, which is sort of a a lost art. You know, I always think of uh, uh, Do you remember Rock and Roll Radio by the Ramones? Uh, Crank that radio by Stan Bush. Turn up the radio. Autograph. You know, there's so many great tracks, and now this is just another one in that great tradition. I right. wonder about the inspiration about that song. Like, you know, when you, I don't know if you would remember this, but like, when you when you first started putting those lyrics together, was there a specific song, or maybe a band, or maybe even just a, a genre of music that like, made, you heard on the radio, and that made you want to write a song about it? Well, actually, it was, the concept was when I was probably a teenager. And oh. it probably it probably was when I started thinking about, you know, because back in those days, everybody listened to the radio, you know. And yeah. I said, wouldn't it be cool? You never hear a song about heard it on the radio, you know. Like, I heard that on the radio. Wouldn't that be a cool song to write? And like you yeah. said, you're pointing out some songs, yes. But but um, it was in my genre of music that I listened to. I never really heard anything like that at that time. Yeah. But it, I never finished it. So I never finished oh. it. And I, I always had the title, Heard It on the Radio. So I changed it through the years. And then I thought about, you know, w when you're with, you know, your better half and you're driving in a car and you're just having a great time with your girl and, you know, you're cranking up the this, this, this song to, to your favorite song and, you know, you, you're just having fun cruising around. Well, that's what's in the video. You know, like if you yeah. see our video, you know, 
we're in a convertible down, you know, Hollywood Boulevard. And, you know, we're, and that's where I was having my most fun in my life. I was, that's, you know, 1985 all the way through there. Like I said, that was my life and I had so much fun doing it. And then I finally got to come full circle and actually do a video on it. Plus have a song in there. It, it was great. It was really cool. I actually had to like, you know, pinch myself there for a minute. I was like, this is really cool. You know, cause I always wanted this song, but I didn't know how it was going to get put out there, you know? So I had a lot of forces working with it. You know, Dennis was the new guy, you know, you know, plus Gary helped me in the years prior to it, but we just never finished it. And then I had the original title for it and I thought, well, that'd be cool. And then the melodies got changed and I had a little help here changing around some lyrics that would fit better. And, you know, like I said, the, the end result is a great song. So, uh, you know, again, it keeps going up. So we're, we're happy about that. Yeah, and I'm glad you were you found a way to use that original title, you know, all these years later because it's a it's a really great hook, and it definitely yeah. harkens back to those kind of glory years of like '80s Sunset Strip, L.A. rock. Right, exactly. I mean, and that's exactly what we did. We we had a friend that uh, that that um, has been very close to us that he had all the sites picked out. And he, he figured all the places to put, put them out there and, and he got them all together. And we went out there and it was boom, 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 boom. And we had it all done. And uh, it was, it was cool. Like we went up to the, the observatory with the Hollywood sign and, and Chinese theater yeah. and the whiskey at go-go and um, you know, all those places. And we just were walking down the street, out of the car, in the car, driving around. And it was just, like I said, then we finally ended up on, in the, the, the hills and uh, up in uh, sunset. I mean, off of Mulholland, overlooking the city at the end of the night when it got dark out. So it was cool. It was really cool. Yeah. So we've talked a bit about, um, you know, Gary's songwriting and, and guitar playing and his um, uh, impact on these two records we've both been talking about. But I also want to highlight your songwriting. You got five writing credits on, on the Only the Strong Survive album and, and, and even more on the new record. Can you tell me about what your songwriting process back in the early 90s with Gary was like and versus how uh, your songwriting process works today? Well, um, I'm more experienced now at doing it because I've had a lot, you know, a lot of experiences just out on the road and stuff like that. But you, 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 you kind of take all your influences and you put them together, you know. And, you know, like I said, I, you know, talking about the Gary and, and the Kevin thing, like with Ario Speedwagon, well, I happen to be a big fan of Kevin's too. I mean, I really like some of his songs that he wrote. I mean, if you were at the concert, you saw We Do Can't Fight This Feeling and Keep On Loving You, and I get everybody singing that song, you know, and uh, those songs. So it's, it's kind of like that, you know, it's, it's giving credit to him too because he wrote some great songs. Yeah. So, but I mean, again, so I try, I'm more... I would say I'm more of a ballad kind of guy and, mm -hmm. and, and like I, and I just, I, but see, I think Gary was too. He was a rocker, but he also knew how to, he knew how to, you know, he knew how to get the girl, you know, I mean, he definitely <laughs> knew how to get the girl. So he knew how to write those songs that, you know, would make everybody happy from, from the rocking guys to the, you know, the, 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 the girls. So, I mean, it was like one of those things, but um, so you pick up on that stuff and the vocal thing that Gary had in his head, was the coolest thing, you know, because he was a fan of the Everly Brothers, definitely a fan of the Beatles, you know, all those things like that. So, I mean, and he kind of, he used to make me sit and listen. I was never a Beatles fan, okay, honestly. Oh. And, and, uh, and he made me sit there and listen to Beatles after Beatles after Beatles. 
And finally, I became a Beatles fan after listening to it so much, you know. But one of my fondest memories, too, is what he gave me this album, um, Tumbleweed Connection by Elton John. Oh, okay. And it was from the early 70s. And he goes, I want you to listen to this and listen to his vocals. And it was like, and I want you to learn the way he uses his voice. And so I did. And I, it's one of my favorite albums now. I listen to it all the time. And it's been 30 years now, you know, but it's amazing. I mean, you know, Burn Down the Mission and all those other songs that are on there. I just so many wonderful vocal techniques that he used on there. And it was just him, you know, and the microphone. And it was, there was not a lot of effects going on, you know, it just, it was just amazing. Some of the stuff you can do with your vocals, if you can have somebody to help you learn how to do it, you know, and Gary had it in his head. And, you know, like I said, when I, he could sing, but, you know, he wanted me to be the singer, the front man, just like yeah. he wanted Kevin and I'm sure all the other guys, Michael Murphy and, you know, Carrie Luttrell and stuff like that. But I, I think I'm more in the concept of, I'm more of a Dennis Young kind of singer. And, and I do more melodic kind of vocals like that than most of the other guys. And, and a lot of, you know, we, once in a while, we'll, we'll throw in a, uh, a stick song here and there just to have fun and, and we usually do pretty well on them so it's fun you know it's a fun thing to do I don't think Gary would be happy if I did that but you know <laughs> <laughs> now I do but yeah, yeah. He, you know that again at, at one point in time he, he wouldn't even play a Kevin song so oh so, <laughs> yeah. so I mean I'm doing a lot of stuff that he wouldn't appreciate but I, you know like I said I wasn't involved with that and, and I just have to do what's honest to me and I feel good about it so and uh, you yeah. know I, I I never regret my meeting with Gary. I had the best time of my life and taught me so much. And I, and, and I, I use it now, you know, I mean, the stuff he's taught me is priceless. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, and, and for what it's worth, I do remember reading Kevin saying that, uh, reading something that Kevin said about, they had a chance to reconcile. So I'm sure whatever he'd be, he'd give your show a, a full blessing you know based on how, yeah. how good you guys perform one last question about uh, the only the strong survive i'm going to put this album cover up this was reissued uh by your label which i think is great because this is a very good album and it's so cool that uh fans can go to your shows and get fresh copies of this cd um but the album artwork here is really striking um, it's uh, very patriotic. It's got the bald eagle, the American flag, just terrific. And I wonder if you have any memories of like how that artwork got put together. Was that like a, a priority for for Gary and you? Did you guys want like um, it to be a patriotic theme, or, or or how did that come about? Well, only the strong survive kind of says it, says it all, you know. Because I mean, basically, we all have been through our stuff, you know. And this yeah. country is going through some bad stuff right now, so. The American yeah. Eagle, you know, is, is, is obviously, and then you got Harley Davidson on there too, you know? So, I mean, you got a, a, a motorcycle on that. So it, that, how, how, I mean, again, like being from Milwaukee, I mean, that's like, you know, it's pretty cool. So mm -hmm. we actually had an artist paint that back in the, in the early nineties, right before the album was out. And then, and then they, I don't know what they did on it to make it on an album cover. They did whatever they did back then, but, um, and Coiler, who's with me, does all my marketing and stuff like that. She, when we remastered that and we redid that, she did all the new artwork on it and made it all much clearer and then changed the jackets on the inside because the, the pictures and stuff were so, they needed to be updated. So we did, we redid everything on that album. That's, I mean, not the music wise, but the actual artwork right. and the 
jackets and stuff because we just needed to make it clearer. Because obviously yeah. nowadays we have so much better technology, and um, you know we still want it out on vinyl, and now it's it's capable of putting it on vinyl too. So, and, and that's just one of those things that hopefully we'll be able to do. And and with with LA is mine, also we can do that on vinyl too. So, so that's one of the next things in the works, along with the dates we're trying to get together to do. So, uh, you oh, know, like that's I, cool. You're trying to get uh, hopefully uh, both of these might be available on on vinyl in in the coming yeah, so years. Everybody requesting it and and we wanted to do it where it's set up to do it because you know you have it on on a digital master but then you yeah. know the way they 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 put it on an album is, is is a little different so um it's all set to do both ways so i mean again like i said i can't wait because you know the, all the pictures on the insides of both of them are really cool i mean we had incredible artwork on on both the albums so and it's oh, it's great it, it, it's it all worked out i'm very happy with it the remastered one and then the new one Yep, and the new one also has some really good uh, uh, artwork. I'll, I'll show here. This is—I uh, I feel this uh, is also sort of that same kind of vibe as the "Heard It on the Radio" video, where you know Polaroids have kind of gone the way of a radio, right? Uh, so you're catching that. Oh, okay, okay, okay. Yeah. So "LA Was Mine" that was a song that was originally. Um, written by Gary, right? Lyrics-wise, correct. And then. Well, it, was it about is it about going out to LA from the Midwest and and being you know a, a touring or a, a young starving artist out there? Pretty much, yes. And he okay. and he was starving and he wasn't getting any money, so he got on a plane and went out there and yeah. tried to find what what was going on. So he flew out to LA and he you know in his his in my understanding what he said when he was flying in coming into Los Angeles, all you can do is see the lights and, you know, you just fly in and you see the mountains and then you see everything else. And the city's huge, you know? Yeah. And that's why, you know, LA, you know, LA, you know, I loved you from the moment I saw you. And, and then he kind of he put the reference of LA being a city, but it's also a girl. And, you know, the way oh. he danced, if you listen to the lyrics, you'll hear all that in there. So it's like, it's, you know, it's really cool. It's, it's, uh, it's, it's Gary, you know, he, he was very, very, he was a genius in, in stuff he did. And it was like, but he never finished that song. It was always demo. So he really wanted me to finish it. And we were trying to finish it and it never got done. So I decided to finish it for him. So that's what I did. And, you know, like I said, again, it's a, it's a wonderful song. And it's kind of, he always felt it would be more like a, an anthem song for, you know, like writing Stormout kind of was, because he just, just wails at the end of it. I mean, we had to cut off the end of it because it was, it just kept going on and on and on and on and on and on. And on. It's like, Gary, just, okay, Gary, you can stop now. <laughs> it's like, oh. you know, it's like Golden Country, you know, like we, sometimes Dennis, you know, he, he does what Gary does. They just keep going on and on and on, you know, and it's, uh, it's great, you know, and, and I, you know, we don't have a, a set thing. We do everything kind of the way Gary did it. We just kind of go with it. Like go, okay. Golden Country, you know, and, and there's, the, you know, there's some bands that are all really, really scripted and we're not, mm. we just play it as we go. Like I'll change the set around whenever I have to, you know, and I can tell like, you know, cause you know, I, you know, a lot of people just people that didn't, didn't know we're there and we do our, you know, all of a sudden you get a lot of the older people like, Oh my God, you play this song, you play this song. So then we start pulling out songs from that nobody's played in years, you know, like, like I said, the summer love and, and those songs, it's just like, you know, that's, in the middle of that song, you can hear Gary's influences, like with, with Dickie Betts, you know, and, and he's, you know, he's, he was the, the Dickie Betts kind of guy. He loved that guy's playing, you know, and, and, um, 
there's so many people, you know, from Jeff Beck to, to everybody. And it's like all those songs kind of highlight it, but you don't do it unless you let it, let it go. Just let it play, you know? And then sometimes the, the, the song will last for, you know, seven to 10 minutes and we go, oh, oh we're running out of time here. <laughs> if we get, a, if we do like an opening slot from somebody, we got to cut it off, you know? So, but right. yeah, the sets, sets are always free game. And um, the road crew hates it. The band hates it, but I, I kind of figure out the audience. I've been doing it long enough. I can say, okay, guys, we've got to cut this one. Move this one here, move it here, move it here. So it, it all depends on what the audience wants because it's all about the audience, you know. Now, see, that's terrific. I, I'm really happy to hear that because uh, I will say, you know, seeing your show, it was so cool to hear those those deeper cuts with more uh, faithful renditions um, like songs like Golden Country and and like you said earlier, Summer Nights. I mean, those are those are, you know, if you're an REO Speedwagon fan and you've only seen REO, those are lost gems because those they don't bust those yeah. songs out. And and not to knock REO, but I've seen them many times, and they have one of the most stagnant set lists in, you know, of any touring band I've ever seen. So you know, you had coming with this different approach of being a more a little more fluid and reading the room a little bit. You know, I I really like to hear that, and this is why I really recommend you know fans check out the show you guys are doing. Well, thank you. Like I said, it's uh. It's been wonderful to be able to have that opportunity because I mean I, I run into to Gary Richrath fans everywhere I go that are so diehard Rich Ref slash REOs fans instead of the other way around, you know, because yeah. everybody, everybody loves Gary. And it was like, that's what's happening. I mean, even if you look on social media right now, there are so many Gary Rich Ref sites. It's ridiculous. It's like, and it's wonderful because we're all kind of com- com- combining together, which is helping us out, you know? And um, it, it's, it's just, it's like I said, w- once you hang out with the guy, you know what it would be like. He, he lived it. He breathed it, and that was all that he cared about. He never cared about anything else. It was just music, and that's how he was, you know, since he was little, you know. And, you know, since his Uncle Leroy taught him how to play the first chords for Summer Love, you know, and that was one of his first songs he ever, you know, put together at wrote. So so that's another reason why I love doing it for people, you know, because they, they, they like it. It's fun. Well, yeah, and and it's a it's a it's a venue for your creative outlet as well. You know, the one thing I was going to say about LA was LA is mine is you know correct me if I'm wrong, but it sounds like the lyrics of that song apply to your story as well. You went out to LA, you were part of that Sunset Strip, you know. So I, that song must carry meaning for you. Well, yeah, exactly, and that's what he, he that was what's so nice about Gary when he did that. Um, he said, "I want you to finish it," so I finished like the second verse of that song. And then, like, the other thing, you know, because I, he gave me the first verse. Just like Outlaws. I don't know if you've heard us do Outlaws. Yeah, yeah. Okay, Great Outlaws. Is not, yeah, that's, that's, that's another longer song. And that was featured on the, on the Only the Strong Survive album. But it was so long. And that song, he, it, it literally was like 3 o'clock in the morning. And I got a phone call. Get over here now. And I got a song. <laughs> so I had to get out, of, get out of bed, go over to his house. And he's got... He's got the first half of the song. He goes, this is going to be me with my old group of outlaws, REO Speedwagon, you know, taking on the world. And then I'm going to, I'm leaving them. And then you're going to write the second verse and, the, and you're going to be the new gang of outlaws, you know, and, that, and that's, that's the whole thing. So if you listen to the lyrics, that's what it's all about. And then it was like, you know, he wrote that on, on a grand piano, you know, originally. So he didn't, he didn't even write that on his guitar. And then he turned around and, you know, we had somebody else play the, the piano for it. And then I think Neil Doughty actually did some demo work with us on that song originally. So, 
um, in the studio actually, but it was, it was, uh, it, it, it meant a lot to him, you know, and then, and then he gave me the opportunity to finish the song, you know, and, and so that's what we did. And it was always like, he always was doing that stuff. That's why I never understood why there was such so much animosity, but there was a lot of animosity with those guys, you know, and, and I that, know. Is that a snapshot into Gary's songwriting process that he would have an idea and you know a set of lyrics but also some like intentionally left gaps so he could bring you in to to put your own creative input in it as well was that fairly common through that first album oh yeah it was definitely oh, just like okay. ho- just like hollywood you know i yeah. mean hollywood is another one and, and it's it, okay it's 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 a play on the words it's hollywood and it's like hollywood and, and it's about a it's about a girl you know but it's actually hollywood it sounds like it's you know a little different yeah, right. <laughs> so I mean, it's all about LA basically you know and it's yeah. like and um you know I finished that song for him too that was another way and now, I don't know what he did previous to that I don't know if he did that same same way writing with other people but he did it with me and I was very thankful for it because it gave me an opportunity to learn you know and, and I yeah I never you know I was a bass player before and I played I played a lot of rush and yes and stuff like that. That's what I was into when I was growing up. And then when I, you know, I've always was an REO fan, but I never thought that I would be doing that. And he's, as soon as he, as soon as he heard my voice, he said, you're putting that bass down and you're going to learn guitar. And I said, Oh, I don't know if I could do that. He made me. And he's like, sat there and he taught me, this is what you do. This is what you do. This is what you do. And so he like basically instilled it in me. So you know, I mean, how could I say no? You know, I mean, everywhere I looked, there was a golden platinum record in the studio, so I had to listen to them. You know, so. Well, that's yeah. so interesting to hear about the songwriting process because you you hear so many about so many big bands like the Eagles or the Rolling Stones, where the songwriting was, you know, these individual members hiding off in corners, you know, basically in this culture of fear, terrified to show each other any potential vulnerabilities. So it's so refreshing to hear that, like other, you know, classic rock stars, you know, someone like Gary was uh, a more collaborative person and, and really wanted to bring out everybody's best. Right. I think so. I mean, I think that's because I know, you know, like I, I was telling you before about like the Lakers, right? And, yeah. and it's like how he was, a, he was a big sports fan. He was a team player. And, and that's yeah. what happened. I mean, when he felt, I think when he felt like he was losing his team is when he felt like then he was losing everything and you know like i said he was with that band for 18 years and he's the reason why they got the record deal and he's the reason why they got the the longevity of the of the hits you know he helped produce you get what you play for which is still one of my favorite albums you know and and again it's like you know so so that's that's where it all came from now whether whatever happened after that you know that's when you know the commercialism and and I'm I'm not putting that down because I like I said I enjoy doing some of those songs that Kevin wrote you know oh yeah but but I'm just saying I I don't understand you know if he was such a team player because I he was with us and he he was always that way you know but um you know it just somewhere it got lost with him and the other band and then with me you know like I said again we just couldn't I don't know it, what we could do anymore it was getting tough you know and and we all had personal problems going on at the time so we had to kind of just like go our separate ways. But then we got back together, Gary and I, to try to finish off some things, and it still didn't work, you know. But, mm-hmm. I mean, that was later on, like, in the 2000s. And then, mm-hmm. you know, like I said, again, you know, he just kept, he kept going down and down and down, but, you know, whatever. I choose to remember him as the Gary Retreat that 
that I played with and I had a great time with, and that's all I really want to remember him as, you know, and, and the stuff he taught me. And, you know, like I said, I, I want this, this album to go huge for him, you know, just as much as it is for us. I mean, it gives us a, a, a stepping stone to continue to do it. Like I said, I have more stuff we can put out and um, I plan on it, you know, and um, I, I plan on, you know, every time I play a song or record a song, I know everyone's going to say, it sounds like somebody else I know. And it's like, yeah, it sounds like an REO Speedwagon album, you know, <laughs> you know, and that's what happens. You know, just, you get it in you. I'm sure all those guys do that, you know, they get certain influences and they can't stop it, you know? Absolutely. Well, yeah. And I, and I gotta say, like, I, I think, you know, just a fan of, of classic rock music, a fan of just underdog and underappreciated figures in that genre. You know, I think what you're doing with your band is just, just a, a fantastic celebration of a guy who doesn't get enough, you know, credit for what he did. And while at the same time, um, just being, you know, you know, separate from that celebration, just a damn good uh, live rock and roll show, you know? Like, if, if you weren't a talented songwriter and vocalist and you didn't have a good band behind you, well, the tribute wouldn't be worth a whole lot. You know, it's through, right, you know, right. your talents that, that make it, right. it a really good time. Right, right. And, you know, and like I said, I, and, and thank you, I appreciate the compliment. And, you know, to go to saying with all the other guys in the band, they, they do love playing this stuff so much. But then, you know, like I said, they are also the ones that want to put new music out there, too. But it's yeah. like, you know, like I said, we have so much a catalog. We could go out and, 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 and do our own, just all of our own music, you know. But it's like, and, and it's like, but it's like, you, you know, like I said, in this day and age, you just can't do that. But it's it's always about somebody else like every band has got they listen to somebody they're influenced by somebody so like when we do those and i i'm free to do whatever i want like when i'm picking the songs you know we usually have a set list but i change it but i mean that set list could go where we play you know a half hour to 40 minutes of originals if we wanted to you know because we're playing two hours you know yeah and sometimes it even goes longer than two hours you know but it's uh like you were saying before, when you go see the see REO, you, it's it's a lot smaller set and it's a lot more shut, you know, closed down and stuff like that. Where we can just go whenever as long as we want to, and usually we end up doing that because we, we usually get cut off because it's time to you know shut the fair down. You know, and you think, <laughs> hey, it's time to go. We're going to get in trouble. You know, and it's like you know people are just going nuts, and we have to continue to keep playing. So yeah, but we and it's one thing I learned, you know, again from Gary. He always told me. Every time you get done playing, you go out and meet everybody that wants to meet you. You sign every autograph. You sign everybody's T-shirt. You, do, you know, because then that makes the fans, and that's what happens. And we do. We set up a table. You saw it. And we, we're out there just taking care of business, you know, and that's about meeting every single fan that you have to meet. And, again, it's, it's what it's all about. And those people remember that, you know. Absolutely they do. And and they should because that is that extra effort that a lot of bands, you know, don't want to do. And I, I wanted to ask you about this aspect of it is that, you know, putting a, a new CD out in today's day and age is is risky and it's hard. You know, it's it's hard to get airplay, but you're getting airplay. It's hard to get people to buy it, especially with, you know, this post-pandemic economy we're all kind of dealing with. I had um, uh, Kofi Baker from The Music of Cream was a previous guest on this show. And he told me that touring for him, for his outfit right now, is really bad. 
He, he said that shows are, his shows are getting canceled. They're having a hard time selling tickets. They're having a hard time getting people to go to shows, you know. And it sounds like, you know, to me that you guys are succeeding in bringing people to see you. You guys are selling both, you know, not just the new CD, but the reissue of this one, too. Right, you know, right. and it has to, you know, be a result of, you know, that extra effort and that that really robust show that you guys do when when you do play. But... Uh, so my question is, you know, despite, you know, the real positive feedback you've had about the albums and your shows, since COVID has happened, are you still seeing some of those same challenges that other comparable uh, acts to yourself are, are as, as well? Yes, um, I think so. I mean, like I said, through last year, we had several cancellations. This year, we only had, I think there were two, two of them. And it was it was because of the COVID in that area. They just they were kind of afraid that that if they put the show on, then it was going to be it was a challenge. And then it's like and then if you if you if you go and do a show and there's nobody that shows up for some reason, whatever that reason is, it doesn't matter if it's COVID or if it doesn't matter if it, they're just having a bad day. Then it looks makes everybody bad. I mean, because you're right. bad, the, the 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 promoter's bad, the, you know, the club owner's bad, whatever it is. There's always so it's better just to walk away from it, reschedule it. And hopefully that doesn't happen anymore. So our, our touring thing went from before COVID, we, we probably did 65, 70 dates down to this year. We're probably, we're, we're up in sales, like you said, but we're probably around 50 shows. So I mean, mm. like I said, but they're all bigger shows, so it helps. But now, now next year we're already getting booked for next year, which is which is really good. Which I think is most of it's going to be gone, hopefully. But you know, again, like what you were saying earlier about the the, the releasing a CD now compared to where it was back even in the nineties, yeah, it's so different. It's just a whole different ball game. I mean, it's like I talk to to my record company all the time, and you know, with the the way they do everything, it's just so so different than it used to be, and it's so hard. You know, because you get paid nothing for, for right. you know, for doing it. And like I said, I, I don't even know what our our thing was. We're into thousands and thousands and thousands of spins everywhere, you know. But it's like, if, you know, and, and I, you know, I've been real luck fortunate because of the, the songs. You know, I everything's pretty much done in my name. And I and this record company works wonderful, Dark Star. They're wonderful. To work okay. With. But um, it's like some artists, you know, sign away their entire lives for this stuff and they don't get anything. It's like you can put out an album. But it's like, you can do it yourself, but who's going to listen to it, you know? Yeah. And that's why I have to thank Ario Speedwagon, because like I said, that connection helps me play in the shows that, that people, they, they know of Ario Speedwagon, where they wouldn't know who Project 313 or Richrath is, even if you just throw Rich out there. But if, if you at the story of Gary Richrath, then I'll say, oh, yeah, I get it now. You know, yeah. you have to go through that whole thing. So it works both ways. So I am thankful that I have the connection. And and it works well, and I and I do a pretty damn good job playing the Ario Speedwagon stuff like they did in the seventies, you know. And nothing is tracked, nothing is we don't we do all real rock and roll music, so it, everything is what you hear is what you get, and and um, and uh, that was something that Gary always wanted me to do, you know. Don't ever do any of that stuff because it sucks, you know. <laughs> but you know it it does, and 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 it's like so I I keep that going. And I think it's it's taken longer, but it'll pay off. You know, I think it will pay off because there's not there's not many bands that do what we do. There's very few, you know, because it's hard. It's hard to do it, especially when you're getting older. And we're all getting older, you know. Yeah. 
Uh, singing two hours a night, <laughs> that's not easy. It was no. easy when it was in my 20s and 30s, but it isn't easy. <laughs> you know, oh, I, say, I hear that. It's tough. And, and like I said, you know, so you learn how to keep yourself going. You know, like I said, you, know, you, you have to keep yourself in shape. You have to keep yourself away from the stuff that, you know, hurt people. You know, and that's one of the things that the, the band I'm with now, we're all real, you know, clean and sober. And we don't, you know, do any of the bad stuff anymore. But when we were kids, we, we, we had fun. I'll oh, tell yeah. you that. <laughs> we had a lot of fun. <laughs> oh, yeah. Out on the Sunset Strip, I imagine, yeah. you know, were, were you seeing groups like, you know, Poison and Guns N' Roses and, and oh. those kind of, but yeah, they were all, all doing that stuff too, right? I mean, that was the whole lifestyle. Yeah, we used to play, uh, we used to play, like I said, Gazzari's is no longer there, but we played Gazzari's a lot, and the okay. Roxy, and the Whiskey, oh, yeah. and the Troubadour, and um, we used to play the Country Club in Reseda, which was a lot of, that's a bigger place there than a lot of bands played at, a lot of bands recorded there, and I mean, everybody played there in the 80s, John, with the, with the hair bands, you know, so I mean, yeah, we played with a lot of those bands, we did a lot of stuff with those, we, that's how everybody dressed, you know, and it's like, it's kind of, <laughs> kind of scary now you know but um yeah we went through all that stuff and just had a lot of fun and you know i could i don't regret it but i could never do it again you know <laughs> so no but, no no certainly that, but, but no you know you, you know now you got the mortgages and the kids going to school and you know all that other stuff so you know it's life life changes but you know it's still a lot of fun to do what you saw us do the other night you know that was a lot of fun so i appreciate hey. it so thank you very much for the review you gave us it was awesome oh you bet well that's that that fun is a two-way street my man that that was a really enjoyable night you, you did mention you have other songs that that you could put out i mean do you have plans for future rich uh, rich, rich wrath project 313 albums and, and is anything in the works right now yeah i mean actually we we've already started working on some new songs and um i have um in my studio that i'm in right now i have uh of many demos that we have through the years that I can put together now that I have a genius engineer that can help me figure it out. And, and I'm sure there's going to be more coming in the future. Um, this, this first one that we just did is still so fresh and, and with the lack of touring, which we are touring more now, um, we'll probably start working on it ASAP probably at the end of this, this leg of the tour, because we're going to be probably finished up in December so everybody wants to record like everybody wants to play original stuff nonstop, which is great. You know, we're not a cover band, but we play a lot of REO. So, oh, yeah. and that's because I play with Gary. So that's basically, it's, it's kind of the same, but it isn't, you know, we did, we do, we record writing a storm out and son of a format on LA's mind too. So that turned out really good. That's more of a, a more rocker version. If you listen to it, you know? Yes. Yeah, that's that's interesting to hear that because I, I have to feel that's a little more in line with uh, Gary's original vision of those songs. Exactly, exactly, and that's exactly what it was. I mean, when Gary Gary did "Riding a Storm Out," that's the way that more of a rocker song where it's just you know blaring guitars and me singing. And then uh, if you listen to "Son of a Poor Man," "Son of a Poor Man," he really did it more as an acoustically version of it when he first started it. And we used to go around, you know, now they have the podcast, but, you know, we used to do in-station radio stuff all the time. And every radio station we would do, we would bring a couple of acoustic guitars and we would do Son of a Poor Man and Today. Today is off of the only oh, okay. And, uh, and uh, so we would do Son of a Poor Man and Today. And he loved doing it acoustically. 
And then he wanted to do it more that way. And I actually recorded a, an acoustic version with him live. It's, it's out there somewhere. But um, we decided to put it together as a rocking version on the album, our album, you know. So if you listen to it, it it's pretty much the way he originally wanted it. So Very so good. Buy the album. Yes, yes. A hearty endorsement for, for, from me on that. I, I have both of the albums that you have available at your shows right now, and I, I really enjoy both. You know, the, the one thing I didn't get a chance to mention is, you know, Only the Strong Survive is uh, one of my absolute favorite tunes I, that, that Gary wrote, and seeing you guys play that live was just so cool. Uh, I'm, I'm glad you, you're, you're doing that stuff. I'm glad you're bringing his music more to the forefront because I feel with, you know, his old band, you know, they don't really do that. And I, I just think the whole thing is a, a phenomenal tribute and celebration, you know, of your friend. And it is that because you've put together a great band and you deliver just a kick-ass performance. And uh, I, I can't wait to see you guys again. So oh, thank you. And thanks again for, for, for coming on the podcast and, and talking. Yeah, yeah, I'll do it anytime. Anytime I, I'm around you, give me a call. I'll be more than happy to do it. It's great. You know, meeting you at the show and, and talking to you again today, it's just it's just been fantastic. I really appreciate yeah. this. I appreciate it. And remember, richrathrocks.com. Project313rocks.com. Uh, the new album is called L.A. is Mine, Rich Rath Project 2013. Or, <laughs> Rich Rath Project 313 and my guest awesome Michael Johns thank you again dude this was awesome thank you very much Joe keep rocking and that was my conversation with Michael Jans the founder vocalist and frontman of Rich Rath Project 313 which is a celebration of the life and music of Gary Rich Rath who wrote so many of those classic hits from REO Speedwagon back in the 70s and early 80s I need to thank Michael for being such a fantastic guest. This was a really enjoyable conversation, and it was so great to meet him after the show I saw them do just recently as well. If Rich Wrath Project comes to your town, go see them. They are a really good live band, and again, they'll be happy to meet with you after the show, take their picture with you, sign whatever merch you buy. It's a really good time. So thank you again to Michael for coming on the show, and be sure to check out the band's tour dates on their website, project313rocks.com. Also, you can find them on Facebook and Twitter, at project313rocks. Thanks again for listening. We'll play us out with a song from the band's new album, L.A. Is Mine. This is a single called Heard It On The Radio. Hey, baby! You know it's where I wanna be Late night, we go out dancing To the songs for you and me Hey, thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, please remember the big four things you can do to support this show that don't cost a dime. Number one, listen to the show. If you're hearing this now, that means you did this part already. Thank you. There is an infinite amount of content out there, so you choosing to spend some time listening to this show means a great deal to me. Number two, if you like what we did here, please recommend this show to family, friends, or anyone you know who's looking for a podcast, particularly about music. Share our links in Facebook groups, subreddits, and recommendation threads. Whatever you can do is highly appreciated on my end. Number three, find us on social media. Follow us on Twitter at 
play that podcast. Like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash play that podcast. And subscribe to our YouTube channel at youtube.com slash C slash play that rock and roll. Lots of great material like photos and vlogs on all three platforms. As play that rock and roll is very much meant to be a content hub as well as a podcast. And finally, the big ask. Number four, please give us a five-star rating and a positive review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. I know this part is a hassle, but it really does help the show a great deal. Not just because it affects the algorithm, but also because it gives me something I can point to when pitching this show to potential guests. The more social media followers and positive ratings the show has, the better chance I have for booking high-profile guests for interviews. So if you take a moment to give us even just a five-star rating, you are actively giving us a tool to do bigger and better things here. But whatever the case, I appreciate any and all efforts you take to support us here at Play That Rock and Roll. Be sure to join us next time for more great stories and music from the world of classic rock. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points.